Welcome to the final episode of Scale Up, Season 3, about Invato. I'm Courtney Carthy. Invato's the massive Melbourne-based tech company, seemingly cruising above Earth as fast or as slow as it wants to go, progressively heading towards a billion dollars in payouts to their community of authors. If you've enjoyed the series, please let a friend know and do check out launchvic.org. This episode, experiments, adjustments, and horizons. Invato does this really well, perhaps because it also does it so often. Most recently with an app called Milkshake that builds little bio websites to pair with your Instagram account. Most significantly with Elements, Invato's subscription service for themes, music, graphics, video, photos, and other digital assets. In a rare instance, there's a constant change in the office that's actively uncontrolled or monitored, sneaking in at night under the name Ghost Patrol. Okay, my name's David, but the artist's name I go by is Ghost Patrol, and we're standing outside the Envato offices in Melbourne. Around the Envato offices and conference rooms, the kitchen area, and other smooth walls, David's been allowed to roam around with a paintbrush to paint whatever he likes after everyone else has gone home for the day. People don't really know what they're getting, or some people might know what's happening, but I like the surprise that it happens quickly, and I like to work at night time as well. So we head inside to check out a couple of Let pieces. Let me get my pass. Oh. Past the glass doors inside, and you're already straight into the kitchen, where a metres-long wall is covered in drawings by David. So when these guys first moved to this building, it's a pretty big spot. It's really nice, actually. But I, I was contacted by the architects who were doing the fit-out, and, yeah, they pointed out a few spots that needed activating with murals. And this is one of the larger ones, so it's the whole length of the kind of kitchen sitting hangout zone and it's just a big black and white line drawing of someone kind of lying and heaps of lying down and there's heaps of stuff floating around from what i can tell correct me if i'm wrong it's sort of line drawing with acrylic paint is that what you're using it looks like a brushed acrylic you know like a hard wearing um you know dulux kind of paint so i just paint it with one brush and uh yeah they're like big drawings really so most of my work starts as drawings and sketches so even though these are painted, I just consider them big drawings, really, because I've just scaled up my drawing and kept them pretty simple, yeah, just line-based. For the work, there's barely a brief. What's going to be there after an overnight visit is anyone's guess but David's. And so they leave me the keys at the end of the day and they don't know what they're getting and they turn up the next day. And I've got to say, most of the time, people are really happy. In fact, they like the surprise part. They like giving up a bit of control because it is just paint on a wall. It's not getting tattooed on your head or set in gold or something, so you can afford to be a little bit experimental or give up control because yeah. maybe they're in the business world, the work that they're doing, you can't be as, I don't yeah. know, um, free or give up control that way, so it's a good contrast. If you do want to see David's work, there are some links in the episode notes. Have a look now or search for Ghost Patrol online. Artwork changing day-to-day could be seen as a minor extension of the constant changes in the company. Illustrative when I ask about why the company is called Invato before the founders even get the name for the company they've launched, not one but three marketplaces are underway. 
He's founder and CEO, Collis Taid, telling me the story. We started as Fleshden. That was our first uh, our first site, our first marketplace. Not the most illustrious name. I remember going to a bank and the teller telling one of us that they basically thought it was an adult website, which you think about it. Probably more an app's name for an adult website. But anyways, it was, just to be clear, not an adult website. But uh, we, as soon as we launched Flashden, we started having plans for a second marketplace and um, kind of thinking, well, a fox lives in a den, we're selling Flash, so we'll just keep that going. And the next one was Audio Jungle with a little snake um, and then Theme Forest with a bear. And after that, we started thinking, well, we need some way to actually reference all of these things together. We'll give them a name. And we... Uh, we um, Started with Eden, all these animals that live in Eden. Uh, and so we had a logo which had a kind of a leaf thing, but Eden turned out to be very hard to trademark. And so we went to a site called Brand Bucket, where uh, Envoto.com was just for sale. Um, and we bought that. It's a made up word, doesn't mean anything. Vato is like uh, Spanish for like dude, uh, in like a sort of slang that you sometimes hear in sort of West Coast uh, LA Mexican culture, sometimes on television, but that's about the closest thing. So other than like some variant of dude, it means nothing. And oh, how come everything is .net? Is it just because it's easy to get? Um, yeah, flash10.com I think must have been gone, and we started with .net and we just kept running with it, so at this point... Um, yeah, we've ended up with quite a lot of them. We actually own a lot of the dot-coms in many instances, but yeah, it's just kind of stuck. The company, thanks in part to Collis's enthusiasm, seems to constantly have a few things on the boil that differ from and build on their digital product marketplace business. They'll cobble together a team and bash out an idea pretty quickly. That's our studio, Envato Studio, their freelancing service, which is still going strong, came about. One that didn't work was a sort of on-demand photography service. It was shut down and everyone moved on to something else. One, like Envato Studio, that stuck around is Envato Elements a subscription product launched in 2016. A team of people is put together and six months or so later, it's ready. It seems a fitting way to end this series with Elements. The company is humming along with a paid growth team built out, hiring happening all the time. A recent acquisition in Mexico of Placeit, sort of like Canva, but not really. And in the months I've been working on the series, Envato has paid out probably over $100 million to product authors. Scale Up is brought to you by LaunchVic. LaunchVic is leading the development of a globally connected startup ecosystem by supporting startups and investors here in Victoria. Check out launchvic.org. Have a look while you're listening. Let a friend know about the show too. And do leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That was very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it was in sort of uh, stealth mode for a while. James Ross, Chief Technology Officer at Envato, was there when work began on Elements, the new subscription product. It was well known internally that we needed to, or we wanted to move from the transactional model of market to a subscription model in elements. We believe that the, we could bring more money into the community under that kind of model if it was done well. Uh, and we started with 
as, as you probably have heard, Envato has many, many, many different types of content that we sell. We think our breadth is unusual. That's one of our strengths. So, uh, and we, we chose, uh, so we have theme forest where WordPress and other content management teams leave. We have audio jungle for audio, video hive, we have 3D ocean, photogen, and graphic river is where 2D graphics is. So if you want a PowerPoint template for your next presentation, you can go and buy it on graphic river. If you want to design for a business card, you can buy a whole magazine design on graphic river. If you like, if you wanted to publish a magazine, you can get a template for beautifully designed magazine template, for example. So we decided that the first content type we wanted to offer in Elements was 2D graphics. So it was about assembling that minimum viable library of content for a subscription. And I remember it was 5,000 items was the goal, right? So you charge someone $29 a month for access to a library of 5,000 graphic templates. One of the most important parts of the product, besides the products themselves, and true to Invato's value was how the authors would be paid when somebody uses their work. Not how they would get the money from A to B, but whether they would go for a big pool method or make up something else. With a big pool method, all the subscription revenue from one month is lumped together divided by the total number of assets and distributed accordingly with the authors. Envato was looking for a fairer, inevitably more technically complicated way to pay the authors contributing to elements. Xavier Russo was on the original team that broke off inside Envato to create elements and explains how they went about it when we met on St Kilda Road in Melbourne. You count up all the downloads and then you divide that big pool by all the downloads and there's, you know, X dollars or X cents per, per download. But that's actually quite unfair because you've got a lot of people who will be very heavy users, or some people who will be very heavy users and some who will be light. So the really heavy users, um, they actually get more, much more of a vote there in terms of who gets paid. Um, and so we ended, ended up finding an article um, about this method called subscriber share. There's a guy in the US, um, Sharky Laguna, I think was his name. Um, we reached out and had a chat um, and he'd written an article talking about how unfair the Spotify and other those sort of models were. Um, but it didn't seem like anyone had actually applied the philosophy, like the, the, a different approach that he was advocating. No one seemed to have applied it at scale that we could see. And so that was, essentially to say okay if you look at each subscriber individually they've given you a certain amount of money what did they use and then so how do we split up their money based on what they've used so if you've only downloaded one thing then all the money that was going to go to artists from that one person would go to the one artist who created or one designer who created the thing that they used whereas if someone's downloaded a thousand things then their money gets split a thousand ways um, and so that just felt a whole lot fairer because otherwise in the traditional big pool approach, um, the heavy users are essentially using other people's money to fund their usage. There's links to the articles by both Sharky and Xavier in the show notes, which can explain in detail how their revenue share model works. And then Invato gets to launch it. Monica McCormack from Invato. Launching Elements was a super exciting day, um, and I think everyone was really excited. And that was such a product that 
was so fun and engaging and like everyone really liked the look and design of and it was something that kind of gave a, a bit of a fresh air to Envato, I think. While all the hubbub is going on in the King Street office with the launch, some of the development team are stuck off-site at a conference trying to join in the celebrations as best they can. Julian Doherty was one. Yeah, yeah I was at the conference. Yeah, Dave Lee, who was the team lead at that point, I think the hardest thing on the day was finding the right GIF to post on Slack to say that it had launched. I can't remember what he went with in the end. Might have been a dancing cat or something. But yeah, we're all sitting there at the conference and it's like kind of no one's really paying much attention to what's going on at this, for the speakers because we're all sort of sitting there watching our laptops, seeing what's going on. And it all went fine. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of that, that first day nerves and jitters thing. More types of digital products were progressively added, one being music that's used throughout this series. Of course, there's been some fires to put out along the way as Elements tries to fit into the market. If you can download unlimited digital products for a fixed price, somebody is going to try and download unlimited digital products for a fixed price. Now, when you get past 200 downloads in one day, the platform throttles your usage. Though 200 downloads every day for a full year will still net 73,000 items. That's many more than the initial 5,000, though a fraction of the near 1 million available now. The library has grown, but the price hasn't. Here's James Ross. That's the incredible story of Elements for me. Obviously, the revenue's grown as well, but so has the, the content library is, is gone from 5,000 2D graphics items to many thousands of photos, audio, video, all for the same price. So it's been incredibly exciting to see because uh, there's been waves of new content added. It started with graphics, then it was photos, then it was, I think, WordPress themes, and then video, and then audio. I think that's the sequence. Audio is the most recent. Yeah, and, and you can see at each of those launches, the retention gets better, you know, churn gets lower, uh, people are using more diversity of items, and the growth curve starts to... Do the, do the hockey stick, right? So as, as you add more value for the same price, you can see that it's working. That's what's exciting. With ideas and changes going on, there's a way Envato can reinterpret their own and their customers' past. It's called event sourcing. So for those without a technical background, like me, James Ross explains its value. Event sourcing is a style of uh, system architecture that basically says uh, you're never allowed to update or delete any data and that doesn't sound like a big deal but uh, the reason it's important is that if you believe you can't predict the future then having the ability to go back and reinterpret the past in a new light when you know more in the future is a superpower i call it having a time machine so if i give you an ex this is the classic example i usually give you're, you would have seen shopping carts on a lot of websites. The typical way a programmer would build a shopping cart feature would be when you add something to your cart, they keep a little record of that. When you add something else, they add a little record for that. So you've got two records for your shopping cart. And if you then delete something from your shopping cart, they'll then delete one of those records, leaving you with the one item in your shopping cart, and then you check out and you're done, okay? So imagine if that's how your system is built and then 
Carlos comes to you one day and says, I've got this idea that people who remove something from their shopping cart just before they check out, I reckon if we followed up with them and offered them a special deal on that thing they removed from their cart, because they almost bought it, I think that'd be good. I think they would be likely to buy, okay? So he's got this hypothesis. So he wants to know who has removed items from the shopping cart. The problem is the developers don't have that data anymore because they deleted it, right? So when you deleted it from your cart, they deleted that record. So they don't know who's deleted that from the shopping cart. With an event sourcing model, you would say, uh, when someone adds something to the cart, you make a little note saying they added that item and they add something else, you say, they added that item. When they delete it, you say, they deleted that item. So you're remembering every change, if you like. It's like having an audit trail of everything that happened. And under that model, when Collis comes with his idea, you can say, sure, we've got a record of everyone who deleted anything from their cart ever since the site began. And we can interpret that all for you and you can send them an email tomorrow, if you like. So you've got the ability to go back in time and reinterpret history when you get new ideas. That's the value of event sourcing. If you've got a startup that might sound great, it's pretty useless without customers or people using your product, much the same as preparing to scale. If I was advising a startup and they were asking me how to make sure it scaled, I was like, have you got any customers yet? No. It's like, okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> we got to rewrite it later. Like most startups are not going to hit any kind of ceiling, um, particularly these days when you've got very, very good, amazing. Like it's so great that you've got AWS with massively scalable infrastructure for very little money that you can, um, you can kick those cans way down the road without worrying too much about this kind of stuff. You know, we're, we're in the unusual position of having a very, very high traffic website and it's, you know, the issues are different, you know. Theme Forest is in the top 500 websites in the world by traffic. It's a very big website. So you've really got to worry about um, the thing even being able to turn on. Like if we take the site down and bring it back up, there's so much traffic, it can't, it can't even come back up. So you've got to have caches set up so that it can come up without getting swamped by the traffic, that kind of stuff. There's a whole bunch of different issues that you get at different scales, but for a startup, don't worry about it. Just, 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 you'll be fine. <laughs> worry about the revenue. Yeah. As Invato grows into its second decade of existence, scaling all the way as millions of dollars are transacted through its markets, it's not doubling down on core product, but planting the seeds for future wins. In the Melbourne Business School dining area, Professor of Management Michael Vitale points to one book. The Alchemy of Growth. The, that, the book about the, about the um, Three Horizons model was written by three Australians who were working for McKinsey at the time. And they made a big splash with that model. Um, and they even came out with some numbers that said, you should be spending 70% on Horizon 1, 20% on Horizon 2, and 10% on Horizon 3. God only knows where they came up with those numbers. But, but the important point is, when I talked, when I do... Um, seminars for executives, very often the numbers are 100, 0, 0. They do not spend any time on tomorrow or, the, or next year. All of their time is focused on business as usual. That is an extraordinarily risky place to be. You've got to be thinking about the future and 
not just the short-term future either, but the long-term future. And so that 70-20-10, without arguing about the numbers, is, is just a statement that you've got to be using some of your time and some of your resources to look at the future, even, no matter how good you think things are. So while some of the things Envato had a go at in the past are no longer around, one that is, is paying off. Collis Taid, CEO at Envato. Certainly, it's. I think Elements uh, and the subscription model, it has represents a future for Envato. I think there's some kind of weird economical magic that happens in digital things. I didn't, it's not going to work in physical things. Like if you go and say, I'm going to start a... Um, like a subscription for uh, the example I always give is bags of rice. Such a stupid example, but like unlimited rice for like fifteen dollars doesn't make sense because every additional bag of rice costs you something. You can't. There's no economics that favor it. But in digital things like movies or music or creative assets, there's no real extra cost. Like each extra item you store and deliver doesn't have a lot of incremental cost. And so there's this weird magic that happens where you can suddenly go, hey, remember how you used to pay fifty dollars? Or something now you can have a million things for twenty nine dollars and somehow that works and it's like even though I've worked on one and we've created one successful I still find it kind of like weird economical magic but um, I think elements uh, and so in that sense uh, it represents a sort of general shift you see like you know movies on from iTunes through to Netflix or from uh, buying individual music to uh, streaming on Spotify. And so for us, that's kind of the same concept. You bought things individually on our marketplace and now you're subscribing and you just have them all there. And uh, you know, things growing and whatnot. But I think for me, when I think about the future of the business, I try to think more about it as um, like multiple stages. So I sometimes think if you if you wait until you need a new growth business, it's way too late. Um, so you have to be kind of planting seeds the whole time. I think of it a bit like seeds because like there's there's no you can't like somehow make a tree grow in a year. Like a tree grows as a tree grows. And maybe some fertilizer or some like clever decisions or some like you picked a fast growing tree, but ultimately it needs time. And so I think when I look at Envoto as a company and try to think, well, how do we stay relevant in the future? Then I'm like, well, we should be planting things today that five years from now we'll go, oh, isn't it great that we put that in the ground? And so elements for me three years ago is a thing that in a couple years time is actually going to really bear fruit. Right now it is um, showing great potential. It's, it's like not a mature tree yet, um, but it's growing super quickly and we think it will bear fruit. There's all evidence suggests it's going to bear lots of fruit. But uh, And I'm, so I'm like, well, good thing like uh, three and a half years ago me approved that plan because <laughs> <laughs> like it's too late now to suddenly miraculously create one. Um, and so I, I try to make sure we have a pipeline of things, like at different stages where we are like, well, this is just an idea and we're testing it. This is something which has a working model, but we don't know if it'll actually make money. And this is one that seems to be making money, but we don't know if our community can earn from it. And here's one in Elements that is showing community earnings, getting scale, but we needed to get much bigger if we wanted to genuinely support this whole company. funny thing about starting a business, right, is uh, after it's successful, you can look back and be like, 
I wasn't going to be successful, so I guess it must have been like an exciting time the whole time, but you don't know that at the time, so, you know, there's no, like, um, you're, the whole time you're constantly questioning yourself, and so when it'd be bleak during sort of winter months, I'd be like, well, maybe this is it, maybe this is the end, maybe it's all going to go downhill from now, maybe six months from now I'll be standing there sacking everybody and saying go home, but things haven't turned out. Ultimately, all of our things, any product we make, has to enable our community to make money. At some point. It doesn't have to do at birth, but if, like, I think it's really important as a business to have a purpose and then to align everything to that purpose. If it doesn't, then so you kind of lose your way. Thanks for listening to Scale Up Season 3 about Envato. It's a fascinating company and in eight short episodes, there's definitely not enough time to cover everything. Please share the show with a friend and check out the episode notes for links mentioned in this episode. Scale Up would not be possible without LaunchVic. LaunchVic is leading the development of a globally connected startup ecosystem by supporting startups and investors here in Victoria. Check out launchvic.org for resources, programs, jobs and more info on Victoria's startup ecosystem. Neither would this season have been possible without the significant time and patience of Envato staff in Melbourne and those working remotely. Particular thanks to David Scott for organising each of the 48 interviews. If you've enjoyed this series of Scale Up from LaunchVic, but you are yet to listen to the other two, there's one on Culture Amp and another on Redbubble. They're available where you're listening right now. Staff at Envato, past and present, were incredibly generous with their time in making this. Each one certainly contributed to what we've made this season. So in no particular order, thank you very much to Collison Sayantaid, James Ross, Gus Gollings, Roy Raphael, Lindsay Andrew, Joe Miller, Blake Ashley, Peter Rhodes, Ben Yong, Rodney Blackley, Xavier Russo, Nicholas Rasmussen, James Giroux, Amber Johnson, Annie Ho, Marianne Cosgrove, Mark Turnley, Annie Denton, Mario Visick, Julian Doherty, Jay Hyatt, Kelly Dent, Bryony Carms, Brett Elliott, Mario Cuba, Matthew Cox, Paul Moran, Adam Noonan, David Scott, Kate McInnes from Cloud Peeps, David Bryce, Ben Chan, Professor Michael, M- Professor Michael Vitali at the Melbourne Business School, Lindsay Holmwood, Nasan Naraki, Layla Ford, Sarah Daverin, Michelle Ridsdale, Jared Remick, Monica McCormick, Jason Wyatt, Josh Jensen. I'm Courtney Carthy. Thanks again for listening to Scale Up.